Welcome to Homicide the Podcast. I'm Kevin. And I'm Brandon. Brandon, I forgot our intro. I know, and I almost forgot to say my what name. What was it again? Right. Okay. No, you're just too extra. It's going to change every time. It's going to develop and grow into something bigger and more fabulous also, and annoying. people who are just listening. And I know. <laughs> and they're like, what, what? They're like, what are you right talking now? about? Yeah. Well, welcome to episode three of Homicide the Podcast. We I know. Have, We've made it to the third to episode. To the third episode. We have officially launched as of the release of this podcast episode. recording. But we have not launched because we're recording. recording. Yes, totally messed that up. On October 30th, you did. But, Brandon, (laughs) how are you? Oh, wait, we have Anna, our producer, here today. Hi. Hello. And then we also have Ethan here (laughs) behind the camera. Um, And we have Martina. Rita Fajita. She's just sitting with us. If you're watching on YouTube, you can get a little... Maybe you could see her. You might not be able to. But she's just she's, snapping. She's cute. She has a little pee issue right now, so... Oh, uh, our little pup is getting old. Yeah, she's getting old, and she's on her deathbed. She oh, doesn't God feel damn. anything. She's good. But no, She's in her early heart failure, but we don't need yeah. to like you know get too upset about it. The other day, we were at a Broadway show, and we had just <laughs> found out that she has early heart failure, and she's nearing the end, and... I was like sobbing the entire time at this funny com- comedic. It was Broadway a great show. show. And I kept great. being like, Brandon, people are going to think that we're like arguing. And I'm like <laughs> angry at you and making you cry. I know. So I cried harder. Uh, Which yeah. show? It's great. It was The Cottage. It was The Cottage on Broadway. Oh, I, I haven't even heard of that. Oh, it's it really just good. closed, actually. It closed already? Yeah, it just closed. They yeah, had the last really performance good. of the day. Yeah, it was really good. I actually, we went because I, also an actor, but I was in an Apple TV show with Alex Moffat. And so I got to hang out with him for a little bit. So I was like, let's go to the show and support in general. So we went, which was great. Which, but, once this strike is over, we'll promote on the show, but we can't right now. Yeah, no promotion of anything. But speaking of which, today, Brandon I know, right? and I went to join the picket at uh, NBC Universal yep. uh, at 30 Rock today, which is lovely. Actually, UCB, where I'm taking classes for improv, they hosted today at this specific picket. So yep. it was an amazing There was a lot of people. Time. There was like, yeah. I, I tried to count at one point, and there was like 80-something, but then more people had come into the mm-hmm. line since then. Yeah. So I think there, there had to have been over 100 people. Yeah, it was intense, but it was <laughs> uh, fantastic, and hopefully, you know... We the can, strikes will be over soon. Yeah, hopefully we can reach a deal and these executives could pull their head out of their ass. But, yeah, so I'm proudly showing, you know, my, my SAG strong shirt. I am SAG. I am a part of the union, yep. so that's fun. Oh, my God, today. Yeah, what did you do today? So I'm messy. You guys will get it's to clumsy. Know that. Kevin's the type of person who, like, won't pay attention as he's walking down the road and, like, yeah. almost accidentally walk into, a, like, a pillar that's which is just right in front I've, of him. I've which is actually like, literally done that multiple <laughs> times. So. Oh, see, this is why we... We're all in know. this together. Um, but today, I'm, like, on the line, and I don't... If anybody knows who Scott Foley is, mm-hmm. an incredible actor, from, like, my teenage years up until still very much... Yeah, I mean, a, he was in Scandal. Actor. He got to be with yeah. Carrie Washington, who is... Oh, love Carrie Washington. Save the last dance. Remember? Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, we're walking in the picket line, whatever. And I don't, you know, celebrities, I they're all normal people to me. But we're walking by and I'm like holding coffee and like fidgeting with my jacket. And my my sign that I had fell and hit him in the face. <laughs> Just like smacked him right in the face. Exact moment that I'm walking by him that's where the universe decided to have this moment happen i didn't know where i oh so it hits him and i'm like oh my god i'm so sorry and i like pull it back and i'm like oh my god mortified so we like pass him again and i like reach out and i'm like i'm so sorry and he, he was nice so he yeah. was like 
oh, stop. Like, stop. You, like, you don't have to apologize. Like, it obviously was an accident. And then I avoided looking at him the rest of the time, <laughs> so which was like an hour. Right. <laughs> but other than that, well, I guess, no. I stepped on the, on the woman in front of me on her shoe and gave her... What is it called when you do that? A flat tire. A flat tire, mm-hmm. which was also awful. And then we took a video together, and now she's my friend. So <laughs> that's fun. So for this episode, yeah. since we have two launched, it's maybe a fun opportunity for those of you who are just joining us to just say a little bit about ourselves. So I just said that I am uh, an actor. Mm-hmm. But also, Brandon and I own a creative and marketing ad agency in Tampa, Florida. Do you want to talk mm-hmm. about that? Yeah, we're not just partners in life. We're partners in business and now partners in murder podcasts, right? <laughs> partners uh, in crime. Yeah, so... In 2017, Kevin and I decided that we didn't want to work for people anymore. And we said... (laughs) I I meant to do the applause. (laughs) Where is it? Whatever. I love that. I love that moment. Um, Yeah, so we started our own agency because we wanted to create the place that we couldn't find for ourselves. So I'm a graphic designer by trade. Kevin's a photographer by Mm. trade and an actor. And he's like one of those annoying people who could do like multiple things thank you really well so Thanks. Thanks whenever so he uh, except i can't do a british accent right whenever he well. can't do something i really latch on to it so <laughs> his does. british accent isn't the best so i get to like hold that his- <laughs> it's actually good now because was, i practice. i know because i've said it so many times he'll go from like british to country to new york it's really bizarre yeah, it's really yeah. it's bizarre but it's yeah, very whatever. entertaining well you're welcome for why don't your you do your life. story in your british accent no thank you <laughs> Wait, I'm not doing it. No, it actually is your guy story. is from. I'm not doing England. it. Don't put me on the spot. Do it. No. Okay. Okay. Speaking of which, maybe we should just dive. dive. In. Oh, oh, one more thing. We're gay. If you didn't know that. Oh, that's a thing. <laughs> so there we go. And on that note, I mean that was such a bizarre thing. Thank you. I mean, I would hope so. If by episode three of a podcast called mm. Homocide. Well, that people would know we were gay. Maybe, but people still think we're twins. So, which we addressed early on, but I think people stare at us often because they think we're twins. Although the guy that runs SAG's social media, I think that's who he is today told us that we were very photogenic and he feels like he took our picture before, but he's going to take it again. And I was like, you did take it. You did. But thank you. I'll take it. Thank you. Thank you so much. I'm like one of the few non-actors in this whole line. Yeah, you can take my photo and put me on the the website. Okay, well, so what are we... I mean, your line kind of just did go into kind of segue into it, saying that we're gay. But today's podcast is about queer killers. (gasps) I had a burp right when I breathed in. Uh, That felt weird. Anyway, yes, we are featuring gay killers today. Should be exciting. I'm really excited to... Chat yeah. about mine. Yeah, me too. And this is the first episode where I actually don't know anything about Kevin's you murderer. Don't. So I'm super excited to hear this. I know. This is also an episode where mine's actually not that long and Brandon's is maybe a little bit long. But stay tuned. He's going to jump in second because I'm going to go first. Yes? Yeah, let's go for it. I yes. did first last time. Yes, thank you. No, Here we, we go. Did, but that's okay. What? No, I went last. Oh, you went last last. Yeah. Yeah. No, you're good. Rude. Keep going. Okay, Brandon. I named my story today oh you named it i named it do you he doesn't like have a name or anything you just he does but i wanted to give a little pizzazz to it you're just so creative thank you what is it everybody's it, so creative what? if you know that tiktok you you don't it's I fine don't. she's hilarious i'll show okay. you okay thank you the name of my story today is called the gay bank worker murder the gay bank that's why i said are you saying gang bang earlier oh my God. <laughs> he kept saying it i'm like well i originally was going to call it the the gay banker but 
then I was like, well, he's not actually a banker and no. that's kind of dumb. So I put the gay <laughs> bank worker murder. Gay bank worker murderer. The gay bank worker murderer. Murderer. Or murder. 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 Oh. Do you want to try it one more time? No, I'm just trying to get clarity. I want to understand. <laughs> You're like, no, don't make me say it again. <laughs> right. I don't want to say it again. Okay. So here's what's interesting. So this involves, and I'm going to fuck up these names. So any listeners that are like, get it right, just let me know. But it is Jasveer Gende. He's the killer. And then the victim is Varka Rani. So let's remember those names. I'm going to call them by their first names, even though they're more difficult than the last name. First, Jasveer is a 29-year-old, was a 29-year-old from Walsall, England, which uh, Walsall, which I've never heard before, is actually kind of far from London. It's like northern England. He worked at the Royal Bank of Scotland in IT. So he wasn't a banker. Oh. Yeah. So then why did you name it a banker? Because he worked at a bank. But he wasn't... Well, I named it before I was totally clear on who he was. Okay. I just it, like some things were like he worked at a bank. He oh, because you said bank. bank worker, bank okay. worker. I got it. Which I got is it. What he is now. It's coming yeah. together. It's well, taking me a little not, bit. I'm sorry. That's what he was. <laughs> <laughs> See, you should have said it three times, four okay. times. Um, like Beetlejuice. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> is he just going to appear if I say it three times? I don't know that we could say it three times. Let's try it. Ready? The gay bank worker murder. Oh no, that's I'm not going to do it. No. Again. Yeah. All right. Fuck it. Okay. <laughs> so. I'm going to talk to you about Varka Rani. She was a 24-year-old, actually from India. She's described as very well-educated, very attractive, and really intelligent. Jasir, of Indian descent, but lives or lived in England, really kind of from there. If you know anything about culture, the Indian culture, arranged marriages are a huge thing. Oh, yeah. And homosexuality is not well in a, a lot of thing. cultures it's in a not. lot of cultures, but specifically that one. October 2012, Jasir, the 29-year-old and his mom actually ended up traveling from England to India to specifically find him a wife mm-hmm. to put him into an arranged marriage. On that trip, literally like 2 days before he was supposed to fly back home to England, he met Avarka. At that time, I believe it's at that time they decided to get engaged within hours of meeting and they were yeah. in Punjab which I'm saying wrong India which is like a, a city in India so that's so crazy getting I know meeting somebody and just getting married all of a sudden well and I never knew that's not true I knew about it I just wasn't like arranged marriages yeah like yeah. I knew about them I just didn't well, have an, experience it's with an knowing interesting somebody. practice too yeah like, some people love it some people hate it and sure. it's like I'm assuming this is what leads to a murder. So in this case, <laughs> maybe so. Right. And it's funny because I used to have a team at, when I moved to New York, the first time I worked at whole foods and one of my team members was uh, Bangladeshi mm-hmm. being from Bangladesh. And she was going through the process of getting an arranged marriage. Yeah, I remember now, Hers is great. Like she yeah. ended up very happy, which I think is amazing. But I do remember her talking to me about how stressful she was well it's got to be like a different kind of stress because even like meeting somebody is really Mm -hmm. stressful and like understanding that but yeah taking the pressures off of oh i have to go on all these different dates and whatever Mm -hmm. you don't have that stress Mm -hmm. you have the stress of i've never met you before will you murder me also (laughs) but just that the arranged marriage and then those cultures like you don't you don't fuck until you're married no and i'm sorry but i think that people need to test the goods before they secure it yeah right like I, you've tested mm, a lot of goods. I did test a lot of goods. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you for calling me a slut. 
Damn it. <laughs> what was that one? I'm trying to get the. Oh, uh, okay. All right. All right. Thank you for the cloud. I'll know next time. I think it works for some people. Class being a little. Right? Yeah. Do your a, thing. Be, be you. Be yeah. proud. I'm here for it. I was a very big salute, which I say instead of slut, we call it a salute. <laughs> I was a big one when I was younger, and I'm glad I was. You so, saluted around. I did, which is how I knew I could love you. Uh. So here we are. <laughs> Uh, anyway, but the- so back to my old team member, though, the funny like juxtaposition between the two of us was it was so new for me to learn about the arranged marriage stuff. Mm-hmm. And it was really new for her to understand oh, homosexuality because yeah. she was very much like, can't you like not be gay? And I'm like, yeah. oh, believe me, I've tried a lot. And she just did not understand kind of the the yeah, idea of the like, why I would choose. Yeah. And she's like, you, you just need to meet a really, really beautiful woman. And I'm like, girlfriend, I have met several. And that wasn't a no. No. There's, just, there's no way. So anyway. There's something missing here. A big thing. Yeah. A big thing in two Or an average size thing. Like a big three triangle Doesn't have things, to be big. You know. Uh, the big thing. <laughs> it's missing. Yeah. What are um, you talking about? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> All right. So back to Jasveer and Varka. Both, like I said, were from Indian descent. They had this arranged marriage. So in March of 2013, so... Met October 2012, basically, got engaged March 2013. They had this extravagant, beautiful, lavish wedding with up to 700 guests. Oh my gosh. And I'm sure it was beautiful. Any yeah. any Indian wedding I've seen oh is my God. beautiful. Yeah, in the like, colors, in the. I want to go to one. Yeah. Oh, I would love general. to go to one. Yeah. Like, oh God, beautiful. So theirs was as well. And yeah. like their, their wedding picture is actually on, on the internet. And it was just, they looked gorgeous together maybe we can add that to the cover art yeah let's do it check out our instagram for more oh at homicide podcast <laughs> is that what it is yeah yeah great after the wedding just veer returned home without varka because she was waiting for her visa so she could not come back to england with him to live until she got that yeah so uh, again you know they didn't even really know each other so, wait, so how long have they known each other by this point they met in like october 2012 and this is march of 2013 so what is that oh, okay. december yeah, like five months. Yeah. Like, Jesus. Like, we got we were engaged for how long? Like, over two years. Two years? Yeah. We weren't ready to get married, though. No. Oh, my God, no. <laughs> but, I, you know, like, five months? But yep. your parents. Wait, your parents got married after, like, three. It was something like that. That's so weird to me. Yeah. But they knew, and they're still and, together. Yeah, and it's been, like, I don't know, long fucking time, like, 40-something years. <laughs> it's been a long time. 38. Well, maybe 40. I don't know. I don't know. They're old. Um, what brand I'm just kidding. They were not old. Uh, <laughs> ugh. Anyway. So this is why your mom likes me more. <laughs> she does say that you should have been her child. I know. So March, once Varka got her visa, then she went to the UK to live with Josphere. So that's actually when she moved there. And so that was in August of 2013. Okay. So when she actually bit. moved there. Yeah. So between when they met in their wedding, did they not, were they not around each other? No. So he went back to London. Not London. Well, went back England, to the town. Sorry. Where, yeah. He was in, in and England. Then, yeah. Okay, and so then they, she was still in India. So they really have only had days with each other at yeah, this Yeah, like not a lot of time. So they lived in a place called Victory Lane, which was in Walsall, England, which quintessential England, like their little brick. It looked like Harry Potter, you know, mm-hmm. at the opening, the very first one, the opening scene with the light. Yep. That's what it looked like. I was like, I would live there. Yeah. Sure. Well, not now, and you'll see why, but <laughs> I would have. So here's what I labeled as some shady shit. So here's what's interesting about arranged marriages and homosexuality and cultures where it's like not accepted, but whatever. Just Veer was a gay man. 
Mm. And he actually was telling people that he was attracted to men as early as 2008 when he was oh, 12. Wow. Oh, wow. But he was really afraid of what his parents would do or like of being gay in general. Well, he was shamed for it, I'm sure. Yeah. He got married anyway, right? And he got married because of his desire to please his parents and conceal his homosexuality from them. And then with that, though, over the years, Jasvir was on gay chat stuff. He was just on, you know, yeah. what gay men do in yeah. general and in London. So he's definitely had a network of like gay friends and attended gay clubs in the Birmingham area. So Birmingham is actually close to where yeah. he lived. He was definitely, you know, gay. But did not, his family did not know, but he was socially definitely yeah. there. So, and I'm assuming this new woman does not know either. No. no. About a month. So August uh, of 2013, Just Veer starts looking up, well, we don't know that it was him, but he starts looking up incinerators for his backyard. Just like out of nowhere? Just out of nowhere. Just internet search. Why would you need an incinerator? Just wait. Like, I'm trying to think of a logical reason to have an incinerator. Okay. Well, here's the thing. So in our backyard in Tampa, we have a... A fire pit. A chimney. A chimney, yeah, which is like very Colorado. Yeah. We bought it in New Mexico and brought it. But that's where we burn stuff, right? But if we've ever done a burn, like we did a burn pit in our backyard where we burned like all the leaves and stuff. Yeah. So an incinerator is actually like a metal... I actually put it in here. It's a, a thick metal barrel that's meant for burning trimmings and scraps. Like it's actually yep. quite popular there. Also, I'm I put in here. We need one. <laughs> Why our backyard? Why do we need an not incinerator, for, Kevin? Not He's for like, what I'm you gonna think. I'm going to put you in it. <laughs> <laughs> you won't. You won't fit. <laughs> but. Okay. I'm sorry. Was that a fat joke? It wasn't. And you'll see why. You're rude. Ugh, you wouldn't fit. I would have to cut you up and I'm not doing that. That's just not in my It's too much work. For the future. <laughs> That's what it is. It's too much work <laughs> too much to work. cut up my body yeah. to put me in an incinerator. Gross. Okay. Good to know. So <laughs> here's, and it, I couldn't find much information on them in general, right? Because like, it's interesting that serial killers and stuff like that, they just go way deeper into their lives. Whereas like a one-off murder, yeah. they don't actually do I, yeah, I think a, it's just so normal yeah. at this point, which is awful. So I have the murder. So September 12th, 2013, literally one month after Varka arrived in the UK to begin her married life with Jasphere. So five months after their wedding, she was looking at his iPhone and iPad. Yeah. So she moves to the UK where she knows no one. Yeah. Not one person. And she but finds him. out he's gay through yes. looking at So his she gets his phone and whatever. And I don't know that she was... Who knows if she was like searching them? Yeah. Like if she was you, I know you would do that for sure. Cause you're a weirdo. I mean, but I totally will take a dive if you give me sure. your phone. <laughs> so not anymore. I'm over it. If you, well, you can do whatever you want now oh, in the shit. beginning, I was like, yeah, I'm going to look at everything. I'm going to yeah, see what I can it. find. What, what Wait, dirt wasn't it like, find? like two, three months in and Brandon was like at my apartment one day and I was at work and he did a deep dive did. into my computer I did. in full transparency. I definitely had some videos of my ex on there that were and, X-rated yeah. um, that I hadn't remembered that were on there and he found them and pff, I was like, what the fuck is this? Not being like, oh yeah, you just had a seven year relationship. Of course you would have photos. And <laughs> we were only dating. There was no commitment, but well, anyway, he was not my boyfriend at the time yet, but yes, Brandon is a, he's also a voyeur. Looks in people's windows and shit. Okay, but I'm looking to like, okay, we live in New York. You walk by people's houses. I want to look to see how they decorate it. I'm not, oh. I'm not looking for like people having sex. You'll look to be like, is there anybody naked? Yeah, sure. Sure, sure, sure. Okay, well, we just spilled those secrets. We're not voyeurs. We're not sitting and watching you undress or anything. That's weird. We don't no, do that. We don't. But close your windows. Okay, so. Unless there's consent. <laughs> Unless there's consent. <laughs> I, I don't know that I want to watch anybody undress. I don't want to watch anybody. <laughs> 
That's not, not aggressive enough. <laughs> okay, so she's going through his phone and finds I'm, what I'm assuming it just said like compromising images, which I'm yep. sure were like images of his dick and maybe other dicks or porn or whatever it would yeah. be. That actually caused them to get into a heated scuffle. Scuttle? scuttle? Which for somebody who just left their country to be with somebody who has no idea no idea who this person is i would be upset hell yeah you we could have had a conversation excuse me you could have like not married me too i could see both sides well not i could see the side of being like fuck i don't want you to know that i'm oh yeah because my parents all this culture stuff whatever but then also the flip side like don't marry women if you're gay she then threatened to expose his homosexuality this is actually according to him and you'll see why because there's not a lot that they can get yeah incinerator basically what he says is that she came at him and so he needed to restrain her. So he took a metal vacuum cleaner pipe and pushed it against her throat on the ground and then got a little bit too carried away and pushed it too really, really hard. So she ended up oh my gosh. dying. Oh my and gosh. so, and here's what's interesting. One of the articles said that she was throttled. Do we remember? Yes. Is this episode one where you were like throttled and we were like, what? Episode two. It was, episode the last, two. It was last episode. Okay. And, and we were all like throttled. What, what does that, that mean? Yeah. Okay. Well, I looked it up. So throttled actually means to attack or kill someone by choking or strangling them. Yeah. So you maybe are accurate. Maybe we do know some people. Oh, for sure. We do. Throttled. So here's where it gets a little bit spicy and gross and weird. So after the murder, so he kills her with that. He then is like, oh, woman. darn. I need to get rid of her body. He pulls her from, I guess this happened in the bedroom, pulls her from the bedroom into their backyard garden area. And I don't think I'm going to like what you're about to say. And puts it into a fetal position. Like, you know, when a baby is. Yeah. With your knees, like to your chest. Yeah. And basically they had, he had purchased this incinerator, which was 22 inches deep. So think of 22 inches deep. deep would be. Well, I, well, I probably did the. I think it was like twenty inches, like twenty-two. Oh, and then the diameter. I think it was something. I only wrote the twenty-two inches, but basically, he takes her body, folds it all up, right, like that, and then stuffs it into this thing, which you know her body's like she can't out fit. of it. Come on, pushes her down into that, pours a whole bunch of petrol all over her, and lights her on fire. <gasps> Neighbors, right, noticed a foul burning smell. Um, yeah. And they were like, is is everything okay? What's going on? So he just told his neighbors that he was burning general rubbish. Rude. The disrespect. Thank you. Right? You. That same day, he then, him and his uncle, I guess, went to the, uh, the police station and informed them that she was missing. And he said that she assaulted him, pushed him down the stairs, took 500 pounds, and walked out of their home. And then he said that she used him to gain entry to the UK. Okay. Which fuck you for talking about those narratives in right? general because ugh. just because yeah. you can't own up to the fact that, that you, you are, are a gay man. Uh, uh, yeah. So you would rather kill somebody. Yeah. So and and make some stupid fucking story. <clears throat> yeah. That next day, that morning, there's still more of her left, right? That didn't totally burn in this little thing. So he lights it on fire again to like burn the rest of of her. So oh again, the neighbors actually called this one in and they were like, Okay, there is a very unpleasant smelling smoke coming from this guy's yeah backyard so the cops actually end up coming there and they're like hey you know you can't i I don't know if they were like you can't burn a lot of stuff like what you know what what is this and he's like oh i've just been burning a whole bunch of leaves and so the cops i don't know that there was a connection between him reporting her missing and this event because they literally happened the next day 
But one of the officers saw the incinerator yeah. and lifted the lid up, and there was a skull in it. <gasps> oh, my gosh. <laughs> Imagine opening that and just seeing yeah, it. would be like, oh. Like, um, oh, I think we have something different yeah. here. It's the rest stud. <laughs> Her body obviously was found in this incinerator, but was burned beyond recognition, clearly. And I'm like, how much of that was even left yeah. in general, right? But they can't determine a... Mur- like they can't determine anything like how she was murdered or anything so they can only base it off of his story yeah because she's burned they can't even tell if she, how she was throttled yeah. <laughs> exactly officers then also found a, a fire damaged mattress which i thought this was an interesting way to describe like the open space behind them but it's called parkland so oh, yeah. officers found a fire damaged mattress in the parkland behind the couple's home was that well like a as, forest yeah i think so i didn't look it up but yeah as well as jewelry and paperwork relating to their marriage, like burned Damn. in the park behind their house. Which mm. So this was just all like super premeditated. So he says that he, nothing was planned. But here's the thing, which is the next thing, the evidence. CCTV, everybody knows what CCTV is, right? Yeah, it's just yeah, constant it's just like surveillance. Everywhere yep. in, in London, well, all over in England, England, I'm yeah. sure, but definitely in London. Uh, but anyway, so CCTV shows that um, it was a four-week trial in general. So he was arrested, obviously put on trial. And it's funny because they don't call, they're not like the court. They're called the crown. It's like the the crown court. Yeah. The CCTV actually showed that he drove to a garage forecourt and filled up a two-liter water bottle with gas, basically with petrol, on September 12th, 2013. So same day he killed her. He went and gets gas. Do they know, like, right. if it was, like, before or after? Mm-mm. But, like, in a water bottle. Yeah. Like, and there's, literally, I looked it up, and you could, like, see him, like, feeling, it was really fucking weird. And so I said that the smoke was seen coming from the garden of the home the same day and the morning after, the same day he purchases this oil, and then gas. She was reported missing after that. And then the morning after, which I already said, that there was more smoke, he was trying to get rid of any other trace of her which is why he did that. So like I had said, they can't determine how she was died, but it's uh, clear to the pathologist that she was dead when she was put into the incinerator for sure. Well, that's, I mean, so thanks. Thanks right. for that. He actually denied that he murdered her, of course he did, but did admit to manslaughter. And uh, he was unanimously convicted of murder at the Wolverhampton crown court after jurors heard that he throttled his wife just a month after she arrived in the UK from India. So he was sentenced. And this is interesting sentenced to a minimum of 21 years but that was a sentence to a minimum of 21 years so it's a max there isn't it's like if they decide to let him out yeah so just a minimum all just because he couldn't come out so here's what so there was this what they're called a principal crown advocate for the west midlands crown prosecution basically she's the prosecutor her name was debbie gould she actually says that he was gay obviously and had no interest in female partners and she said but think about what were his options, which I thought this was really interesting. She goes, yeah. divorce would have have to be explained and would, would reflect badly on him and his family, particularly if the reason was his sexual orientation. Yeah. Number one. And then currently he could live the lie of marriage to a woman. He had no sexual attraction for and reject living as a gay man for the duration of his married life. If he could find a way out. Yeah. So his plan basically was to be like, Oh, I'm married. Yeah. With her gone and dead. And then he could live his gay life. Oh, yeah. Yeah, he just wanted to conceal his sexuality. So think about that. So crazy. All those influences, he just wanted to hide the fact that he was gay because of... Yeah. So he murders this innocent, just... Yeah. Well, I mean, when you're bred to think that that's a bad thing, and then there's all these different stipulations with family and and your culture and everything, that it's Mm -hmm. not... 
I'm sure it was an easy choice to not come out. Yeah, sure. But like, sure. you don't murder somebody because of your own. Well, you don't drag somebody else into your own bullshit. Yeah, it's just gross. So yeah, that's mine. Oh, that's interesting. That's that was a short, good one. short and sweet. The gay bank worker murder. <laughs> bank worker, not banker. Fuck. The gay bank worker. No, you said it right. Oh, I did. I was just reiterating that oh, it's a bank shit. worker. Yeah. IT in a bank. Does your brother work in IT in a bank? He did. Okay. I don't think he works for a bank anymore. Oh, that's right. All right. Anyway. <laughs> Not that they're related. <laughs> right? Like, Him and them. Yeah, whatever. That's that. That's mine. That's uh, a good one. Okay. All right, Brandolinists. All right, it's my turn. Are you ready? I'm ready. This is a long one, so I'll try to go as as smoothly and as quick as I can. Okay. Because it's a good one. It's a bulky one. So Wait, gonna, what's your... What's, <clears throat> excuse me. What's the name of your murder? I'll say it, but I have a little like intro to it first. Oh, do Sorry, it. Do your thing. Sorry. Okay. Okay. So on the night of August 8th, 1973, the Houston Police Department responded to a distress call from a man frantically stating, y'all, I, I partially want to say this in a southern accent. <laughs> please do it, please do it, please do it. Y'all better come here right now. I just killed a man. Because... <laughs> Right, Brandon, that was really good. I I could do a real good country accent. Y'all bet that was a gay country accent. Well, this is a gay (laughs) killer. So, arriving at the scene in the quiet suburb of Pasadena, Texas, the police pulled up to see three teenagers sitting outside of a house Mm. with a twenty-two caliber pistol on the driveway nearby. Walking into the home, they find the body of Dean Carroll. Coral, actually. I should probably check how we pronounce that. That's okay. Anyways, I think it's Dean Coral. Anyways, I I have a typo in here. I put an extra O. Anyways, walking into the home, they find the body of Dean Coral lying dead in the hallway. Claimed as self-defense, the police had no idea what nightmare they just walked into. So from this evening, a terrifying story started to unfold of the abduction, rape, torture, and murder of at least 27 confirmed teenage boys oh no starting as early as three years prior known as houston's mass murders my next podcast episode is on the man with the nickname of the candy man dean Ooh. arnold coral ew the candy man the candy man any relation to the movie the candy man i don't is that a movie it is a movie but i don't think so i think this is different oh my god i think i might be wrong i don't know Oh, I haven't seen the movie. No. That's Anyways. a really good intro, Brandon. Right, you're welcome. Look at you. All right. It's my best Dateline entrance. What? Um, entrance. <laughs> in, the, in the country accent. Yes. Yes. Are you going to do the rest of this in the country? Hey, y'all. No. Okay. <laughs> so I'm going to start by telling the backstory about Dean and then going into the murder. So okay. Dean was born on December 24th, 1939 in Fort Wayne, Indiana. Mm. And he grew up as just like any normal child. He was classed as a shy kid. And it was rare that he would really socialize with others or other kids his age. So unlike many killers, there wasn't really anything out of the ordinary to his demeanor. Although he was socially awkward, there was no reported traumatic experiences that would be cause of any concern. Like nobody thought, oh, you just did that, that you might be a murderer. You didn't, Mm. you just strangled a bunch of kittens. You might be a murderer. Like nothing like that. Don't talk about kittens, Brandon. Sorry. I told my UCB class about the cat I threw over a fence and got eaten. Okay. Well, I think you kind of have to like explain that and then preemptively say no i'm not a murderer because a lot of oh murderers God, yeah. start with killing I, and animals. i don't kill animals in general but when i was little i <laughs> lived in carl's it was before i went to foster i lived in carlsbad new mexico in a trailer and apparently there was this it's half apparent because i do remember the act of doing it but there was a cat that peed all over everything and it was really annoying and i hated the cat 
And so one day it was a Rottweiler that lived next to us that was aggressive and mean and like awful. And so one day I picked the cat up and just like pulled around <laughs> my head and threw it over the fence and the dog ripped the fuck out of the cat, killed it. You were awful. And I was like, great. So chances are you could end up being I could. a murderer. Yeah. <laughs> that not going does to. Sound. That, that sounds like you are a shady. God, my improv if class you don't was hear like, from uh, me in the, for a few days. I know. I probably yeah. shouldn't have chosen that one, but it's the first thing that came to my mind. <laughs> awful. Like, what was the suggestion anyway? I think the suggestion was like rolling pin. <laughs> and I was like, rolling pin makes me think of it's killing me. Awful, <laughs> awful, awful, awful. Well, anyway. So unlike you, <laughs> Dean never did anything like that. Wow. <laughs> so maybe I'm not. <laughs> Okay, so now it's not to say that he didn't have an interesting childhood. So born to Mary Emma Robinson and Arnold Edwin Coral, they lived a pretty normal life. And although it's said that his father was a bit strict, there was no like big reports of abuse. But the strictness paired with the constant fighting led his parents to divorce when Dean was seven. So at the time of the divorce, Arnold was drafted into the U.S. Air Force and was stationed in Memphis, Tennessee. So Mary didn't want her children to not lose contact with their father, which is pretty awesome. So Mary, Dean, and his four-year-old brother, Stanley, moved to a trailer nearby the Air Force base. <gasps> trailer. Huh? He moved to a trailer. Yeah. Oh, my God. Never mind. Go. Did I? Am I, is there some reference? I'm I was just teach. making a connection between me living in a trailer and him living in a trailer. Oh, That's the connection. There is a, oh, okay. So just you're <laughs> finding I'm connections kidding. with the... Okay. Oh, my Anyways. God. It was a joke. Uh, <laughs> so, after four years of being divorced, his parents tried to smooth things over and get back together. So they ended up remarrying in 1950 and relocating to Pasadena, Texas. Mm. I think one big thing in the story is that Dean moved around a lot. It might get a little bit confusing into some spots, but he just... To warn, he moved a lot. Okay. So the second, um, the honeymoon phase was over, which didn't last long. In 1953, so just three years later, his parents decide to divorce again, which I, you divorce once, maybe don't weird. get back together. But So yeah. following the divorce, Mary met a traveling clock salesman named Jake West. And soon after, they fell in love and got married. Okay, Jake West? Jake West. What a cool fucking name. <laughs> right. Hey, I'm Jake West. Right? right? Oh. Okay, right. that could be someone's stage name, too. Oh, my God. So, in 1955, two years after Dean's mom divorced her husband, Dean's dad, yeah. they had Dean's stepsister, Joyce, who was born in the family. Once she was born, the family uprooted once more and moved to a small town about an hour out of Houston called Vidor, I think. V-I-D-O-R. Is that how you- do you, Do you know, know Anna? I'm looking, oh. Anna, our podcast You're producer. You're from Texas. It's from Texas. Many towns in Texas. <laughs> I like, I hate when people do that with Connecticut, and it's like the size you of a thumb. just fucking did it, too. And I'm like, no. And I'm like, do you know? It's like when someone's like, hey, I have a gay friend. Oh, my God. <laughs> Do you live in Alaska? Do you, Do you know, know the them? last time that happened? Oh, my God. I have a gay friend that lives in Alaska. His name's Chad. Do you know him? No. I'm like, I've never been to Alaska. Right? I just did. No. I'm sorry. Okay. <laughs> so... It's here where uh, Mary and Jake decided to shift gears and open up a family candy shop. So initially, starting the garage of their home, everybody in the family was put to work. Mary managed the business. Jake was a, uh, the salesman of the product. And Dean and his brother were tasked to running the candy-making machines and packaging the products every night as after they attended high school during the day. Oh, interesting. So by the time Dean graduated high school in 1958, the business was doing well. With most of their products being sold closer to Houston, the family again moved closer to Houston. So this time they opened an actual candy shop and called it Pelican Prince. 
weird name. By 1960, Dean's grandmother became a widow, which I thought that was an interesting way to put it. It was every source has said she became a widow, so I'm assuming it wasn't to his grandfather. That's interesting. Right. Yeah. So he wanted to be there for her since she was all alone in Indiana still because they originally came from Indiana. He made statements to his family that he knew she would be needing help to going to church and other places. So he moved up and got a job and he stayed up there for two years. So he would also send back money to his family in Texas to help them out. Up to this point, he was actually pretty good. He was going to like help grandma. Yeah. Right. Now, throughout his high school years in the years following, Dean was still known as a loner because he worked a lot. He wasn't ever really around. I have in here, although he worked a lot. He didn't make many connections with people. So with the occasional date with a girl here and there, he never really seemed too interested in women. But while he lived with his grandmother, it is reported that he did date a local woman. woman. (laughs) He did date a local (laughs) woman. And in 1962, she tried to propose to him, which he ended up up rejecting. 1962. Right? I thought that was interesting. 1962. Yeah. That same year, and I wonder if it prompted him to move, but he ended up moving back to Houston to help his family with their business, which had moved to the Houston Heights area, which is just outside of Houston. So by 1963, Mary divorced Jake, leaving the business and starting her own candy business named Coral. His his mom divorced. Yeah, so his mom ended up divorcing Jake, his stepdad. Yeah, And they left the business, obviously, and they started, she decided to start her own because they started it together. And it's called, it was called the Coral Candy Company. So just like their past endeavor, it was a family business. Dean was named the vice president of the company, and Stanley, his brother, was uh, appointed secretary and treasurer. During this time, the U.S. was right in the middle of the Vietnam War, and Dean ended up being drafted. So being sent to the U.S. Army in 1964, Dean headed to Fort Polk, Louisiana for basic training. And then from there, he jumped around from Fort Benning, Georgia, to Fort Hood, Texas, and was trained as a radio repairman. But it was evident that Dean was not happy being in the military because he was gay. But uh, it was reported throughout this time in the army, his demeanor changed, becoming more hypersensitive and glum, which glum is such an interesting word. So 10 months after he was drafted, Dean applied for a hardship discharge, stating he was needed at his family's business. So with no marks on his name, the army granted his request and he was honorably discharged on June 11th, 1965. For my research, it was this time that his homosexuality started to come to light. It was reported that Dean divulged to some of his close acquaintances that he experienced his first homosexual encounters while he was enlisted. There's a lot of gay shit happening in the... Oh, for know. sure. <laughs> but but there's also like some bad gay shit happening. Like sure, sure. People taking advantage well, and that, sexually assaulting. Film, I can't remember his name right now, but Soldier's Girl. I don't yeah. know if you guys have seen Soldier's Girl. Oh my God, it's a Or the listeners, movie. if you haven't I mean, seen Soldier's Girl. it's not beautiful, Girl. but it's very no, well it's done. It's a very well done movie. Yeah, but it's basically about this kind of thing where this guy gets killed in... He's in the army. Yeah, but it's based on a true story. But it's based on a true story because he's dating a transgender woman and that he meets in a in a gay club with all of his army people. But yeah. it's a it's fucked up. It's so good though. Go watch it. Calpurnia, we'll Calpurnia it. Adams uh-huh. is the, the transgender woman, I yeah. think. Very much still prevalent today, but yeah. it's it's basically her story. Yeah. Yeah. So fucking good. Anyway, anyway, yeah. So from my research, it was at this time that his homosexuality started to come to light, like I just said. So to me, my first thought is that something must have happened to him while he was in the army, because when he got back, things started to change. Well, I feel like that's a very common yeah. thing. However, this wasn't the first time that something like weird in happened in his past like this so the year before he went to the army there was a report that one of the employees of the candy company complains to dean's mom mary that 
Dean made a sexual advance towards him. But mm. Mary was a very big defender of her kids, so she didn't believe it. And then she ended up firing the employee. So in hindsight, like this was kind of foreshadowing. Oh my God. That's awful. Yeah. So coming back from the army, Dean, Dean jumped right back into the working at the candy company, which is when he earned the name Candyman because the candy shop was across the street from Helms elementary school where Dean was a popular figure and he would stand outside and hand free candy out no, to all of the nope, local children, nope, 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 coining nope. the term candy man. Absolutely not. Oh, no, God. I know right? that that was so like not as gross. much of a thing then, but I feel like if I were a parent with kids and there was some like random dude handing no. out candy in front of a, an elementary school, I would be like, mm, no, 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 something's up. So eventually the candy store became popular with teenage boys. Because of the school, the, the, the Heights area, the, the Houston Heights area that they're in, there was a lot of troubled teens that were in the mm, area. Yeah. So the Heights were full of runaways and troubled youth. And so Dean would employ these, these teenage boys, but also hang out with them. It was also known that Dean installed a pool table. I'm sorry. I know. It's How old weird. was he at this time? No grown men should be hanging out with teenage boys. He was. Okay. He was born in 1939, and he died in 1973. I think that makes him like what 34. So it was, he was in his early 30s. No, ma'am. Yeah, no, yeah. No, no, so no, it's no. fucking no, weird. No, no, no. It was known that Dean installed a pool table in the back of the shop, so these boys could all hang out all day. And then Dean would befriend these kids to sh- and show them attention. And it was reported that he would have a flirtatious demeanor with no, the teens. No, right? Uh, yeah. So in 1967, Dean was introduced to 12 year old. David Brooks. Intrigued by the free candy and the kind nature of Dean, David started to frequent the candy shop. Dean later said that throughout his childhood... (laughs) (laughs) I'm not going to get through one episode without talking like an idiot. Childhood. You're fucking weird. (laughs) His childhood... He was constantly ridiculed. <laughs> oh my God, Brandon. I love ridiculed. That you're so <laughs> I know. It makes me so uncomfortable. And then I guess it's so cute. Though. These are the reasons I love you so much. Uh, it's so is, fucking cute. Yeah, this is also why I hated like speaking in like school, reading from a book and with oh, yeah. everybody. I don't, I don't know reading. Anyone anyone liked that. No, I, I don't it. think anyone liked that. Right. Okay, so. Where, he was ridiculed? Yes, he was ridiculed okay. for wearing glasses. Kids his age never seemed to be nice, and Dean never made him feel bad about himself and never mocked his appearance, which I thought was interesting because yeah. it goes into what I'm going to go into next, which is Dean slowly grooming David. Ugh, so ugh. over time, Dean started to become a father figure to David. He would give him cash when David asked, and it also accompanied Dean on long business trips to South Texas. It was at this time that the grooming started. Wait, what's this, the little bo- the boy? Dean. The, the, or I'm sorry, the, David. David would accompany Dean to trips to South Texas? South Texas, Texas yeah. And his parents let that happen? Well, his parents were divorced. I'll get to it in just a oh, little bit. Okay, okay, sorry. It was at this time that Dean was grooming David and building trust with the teen. And by the time David was 14, Dean was starting to abuse David sexually. He would bribe him with gifts and money so that he would perform fellatio on David. Ugh. And then I have a note oh, in here. Gross. Uh, gross. My note is gross. <laughs> just gross. <laughs> so by 1968, just five years after starting the candy business, Mary, Dean's mother, closed the business and decided to move to Colorado with Dean's sister, Joyce. With his experience in the Army as a radio repairman, Dean took a job as an electrician with uh, Houston Lighting and Power and stayed in the Houston area. 
In the following years, David moved back and forth between, so David, the the 14-year-old, moved back and forth between his divorced parents' homes in Beaumont and Houston, Texas. David eventually dropped out of high school when he was 15 and moved in with his mother in Beaumont. Visiting his father in Houston quite often, he would also visit Dean. And he eventually moved back to Houston in 1970, where he would often talk about Dean's place as his second home. So... Well, it just it gets so fucked up. Oh, God. So now, my next sentence on this is, now this is where things started to change. <laughs> um, and Dean, Dean started to expand on his behavior. So in 1970... Um, so up to this point, he was just really kind of molesting kids. Yeah, yeah. Okay. From what we Grooming, know, it was yeah. definitely happening to David. So in 1970, yeah. 18-year-old college student Jeffrey Cohen was hitchhiking from college from the University of Texas in Austin to visit his family in Houston. The last time he was seen, he was dropped off by the last person he hitchhiked with, which was dropped off at the uptown area of Houston. I mean, it was said that Jeffrey was the one who picked up Dean. I'm sorry. (sighs) Dean picked up Jeffrey? Yes, that Jeffrey was picked up by By Dean. Dean. Got it, got it. Who said he would bring him to where he needed to go. Jeffrey was never arrived at his final destination and is now known to be the first victim of the Candyman, so of Dean. Two months later, in November of 1970, Dean struck again and abducted two additional teenage boys. Now, as I previously mentioned, David considered Dean's house his own, so it wasn't uncommon for David to just show up at his house. The same day, David happened to walk in in the home and see two teens strapped to a Ford Post bed, um, and Dean was sexually assaulting them. Yeah, this is where the grooming can really like take somebody in ways that they probably would never have where they would never have. Let's also make a really clear distinction because of our political environment that this is a very specific grooming in murderous ways and whatever. Yes, Thank you for that. I didn't even think not related to what all these fucking conservative people are saying that LGBTQ community are currently doing to kids because it's inaccurate. I just want to throw that out there. It's 100%. Okay. Well, I was going to draw the parallel between the candy and the Bibles outside Mm. of schools. Like you you were saying, if somebody was handing out candy Mm -hmm. outside of school, you would be so weirded out and grossed out. For sure. There were grown men in Texas like standing there as we arrived at school handing out little mini bibles oh, and i'm God. like yeah those those they, people are just as easily oh 100%. Like, oh my God. these kids i was gonna say know? and we'll, we'll probably lose some followers and anyway. they probably wouldn't be following two gay men anyway yeah, but i feel like they, i think that kevin it's episode three we shouldn't be losing followers yet <laughs> <True>. <laughs> or we might but i think that grooming actually equates to religion in oh, general 100%. i think that that's truly what it is which is why i think that it is all the conservative people, mostly evangelical Christians, who are saying that LGBTQ people are grooming are people grooming because they are protecting children. because yeah. they are the ones that do it. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. Anyway. Well, it's interesting because I didn't even think about that. Uh, every time that I read and I was typing the word grooming, I was thinking of just like men grooming anybody. So, like, this sure. happens with, with women who get... Mm-hmm. Um, who get sent in the sex trade and all of that. Like they, yeah. they're, uh, they're just people being groomed into doing things. There's that a lot they of wouldn't normally ever do. Yeah, for yeah. sure. But I, yeah, I wanted to make that cause you know, some motherfucker is going to come on here and be like, see, see, <laughs> and I'm going to be like, no, go fuck yeah. yourself. Yeah. No. Anyway. Okay. Keep okay. going. Thinking on his feet. Dean made up a story about peeing, about peeing. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh, I can't do it. <laughs> Anyways, this is actually kind of funny because it actually goes into what I was just saying too. So okay. thinking on his feet, Dean made a, up a story about being part of a pornographic sex ring and he wanted to make sure that David wouldn't tell anybody what he saw. He offered to buy David a car 
for his silence. And Dean did just that, buying him a green 1969 Chevy Corvette. It's so interesting that he didn't just get him and kill him. I mean, I don't know right? how this goes, but it's well, interesting that, that he obviously had some kind of affection something towards there. him. So he, yeah, he, Dean liked David and they had something, Whoa. right? But Whoa. it just it gets weirder. So seeing how David reacted, Dean very soon after eventually confided in David and let him know that there was no sex ring. And then he actually killed those two boys. Which I can't find the names of those two alleged boys at all. They're nowhere accounted for in the 27 victims. Whose account is this? Is this David's account? This is David's account, yes. Okay. Because yeah. okay. Dean was dead. Oh, okay. Dean then offered David a job after this. <laughs> so, again, grooming. Dean's desire to kill were ever so present, and he offered David $200 for every boy he could bring to Dean's apartment. Now, 200 does not seem like a lot of money, but in the 70s, it's it's about $1,500 per person oh my he God. offered. Okay, but this is really interesting because think of Jeffrey Epstein, right? Yeah. They started recruiting women mm-hmm. to get more women, yeah. and that's what they were doing. That's that grooming process. Yeah. But, yep. Yeah. Fuck. Yeah. Fuck. Being a 15-year-old college dropout, David was like, okay, I'm here for it. And so they ended up being business partners. So. The but murders. David knew that these these kids were getting killed. Yeah. Yeah. Fucker. So far, so far from what I know, three people, it's alleged that three people were killed. One of them is considered one of the 27. So up to this point, okay. we only know of one confirmed killing. Mm. The murders from here were pretty systematic. Already known for being the Candyman, David would lure boys who knew them into his car. They either knew David or they knew Dean. So they would lure him into his brand new car that he was purchased, bought. And they were told that they would go to Dean's apartment to party. So mm-hmm. once the teens got to the house, Dean would offer them glue or paint to huff, alcohol and other drugs like weed and anything else that they might have. So the goal was to get them so fucked up that they would pass out. If they didn't, they would try to trick the teens into putting on handcuffs or just grabbing them and putting them on by force. Yeah. So basically they'd throttle them. Um, the <laughs> teens fucking throttle. I know the teens would then be stripped naked and Dean would affix them to what he called a torture board, which was basically an eight foot by two foot piece of plywood with holes drilled on either on, on every corner. And Dean would then handcuff the teens hand through the top hole and try to bind their feet with nylon rope to the bottom holes. And then the kids would be beaten, sexually abused, and sometimes left there for days before eventually being killed by strangulation or getting shot with a twenty-two caliber pistol. This is fucked up, Brandon. Yeah. Oh, it's super fucked up. So the partnership started on December 13th. Partnership. The partnership. Yeah. Did they establish their partnership? I mean, they basically were partners. They were Jesus. They went into this together. So James Glass and Danny Yates. We're at a religious rally in the Spring Branch neighborhood of Houston. A religious rally. Mm-hmm. So James, being a friend of David, and he was also familiar with Dean, didn't question it when David asked them to go to Dean's house. James and Danny were the first victims of the pairing, and it worked just as Dean thought it would. So six weeks later, the Waldrop brothers, Donald and Jerry, were talking to their parent were were walking to their parents' home, and Dean and David happened to be walking past them and engaged in conversation. So again, with the promise of a good time, they followed Dean to his apartment where they were raped and strangled. 
over the next few months, the murders started to rack up. There was did just a quick question. Yep. So at this point, were they both actually murdering? Yes. Yes and no. I think there was I think there was some that David was a part of and some that he just lured people there. Sure. sure. Um, but from right from up until now, David is actively helping Dean bring people to his home to do this. Mm. So to mm-hmm. drug them, to get them fucked up enough to pass out to wow. then rape. Wow. Yeah. Over the next few months, the murder started to rack up. So there was 15-year-old Randall Harvey, 13-year-old David Hilgist, Hilgeist, 16-year-old Gregory Malley Winkle, and then 17-year-old Reuben Walford Watson. Yeah. So by the winter of 1971, Dean had killed 11 boys that we know of, and there was no plan to stop. This is when David brings Dean, 15-year-old Elmer Wayne Henley, over to party. Now, for some reason, this time was different. This time, Dean did not kill Elmer. Instead, Dean started to groom Elmer as well. So just like he did with David, he eventually struck the same deal with Elmer as he did with David. So it was like Dean was kind of trying to start his own murder pyramid scheme. (laughs) So like the Mary Kay of murderers. Oh my God. (laughs) There are probably some Mary Kay murderers. We should should look into that, right? Cold. Oh my God. So this time was... It was it's already a little bit different than his last murders, but this one is a little bit different than with David too. So mm. Dean tried to stick with the whole sex ring story and Elmer didn't actually know his true motives for a little bit. Elmer didn't engage with the offer, uh, but spending more time with Dean and David, he started to trust them a little bit more and decided to accept the offer in early 1972. So at the time, Elmer's family was struggling and they thought that getting that much money would, that it just really enticed him. So sure. In late February of 1972, Elmer lured a boy from the Heights with the promise of smoking weed to Dean's home. So prior to the abduction, Dean and Elmer devised a plan that they would dupe the teen into putting on handcuffs by also handcuffing Elmer. So to get him to put handcuffs on, like for whatever they were doing, I don't there I didn't get too much details on this, but what the other teen didn't know was that Elmer had the keys to the hand to the handcuffs in his back pocket to free himself. So once Elmer saw Dean bind and gag the teen, Elmer left the house and never saw what happened to him. And in my research, I also find the name of this teen. This teen is also not included in the 27 confirmed victims. But Elmer at the time didn't know that he was killing them. He didn't know. So at this time, he thought he was bringing them. And he actually thought that his this friend or this person that he's bringing would more than likely be sold in like the sex trade. Sure. So... I do think that it's worth noting a couple of lessons here already. If somebody Just asks you, well, more than that, but if somebody asks you to handcuff yourself, say no. No, unless uh, it's consensual. Leave. Mm, I would still say no. I know. I uh, don't you want never handcuffs. know. And then the other one is that if some adult is telling you, teen, that they want to invite you over for a good time, also say no. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Don't take candy from strangers. That's that another too. one. That so. So then on March 24th, Dean, Dave, and Elmer stumbled upon uh, one of Elmer's friends, 18-year-old Frank Aguirre, I think is how you say it, as he was leaving the restaurant that he worked at. With the disguise of smoking weed, Frank went to Dean's home to party. And so as they sat and hung out, Frank noticed a pair of handcuffs on the table just sitting in front of them, and he decided to pick them up to examine them, and Dean jumped on Frank pushed him to the table and quickly cuffed his hands behind his back in front of David, which he, David already knows what's happening. And then in front of Elmer this time, Elmer begged for Dean to stop because this was actually like a good friend of Elmer. After Frank was bound and gagged, Dean refused to stop 
And this is when Dean told Elmer about his actual motives. And he told Elmer that what, what he did with the other teen and that his intention was also to kill Frank. Oh, so Elmer eventually backed off and I assume out of the severe grooming, he ended up helping to dispose the body with Dean and David. So of his friends, eventually he ended up just being like, okay, okay, I'll help you. Mm-hmm. Let's get rid of Frank. From there, the killings just continued, and I have a list. So there was 17-year-old Mark Scott, 17-year-old Billy Balk, B-A-U-L-C-H, however you say that, blah. Balk. Yeah. 17-year-old Johnny Delome, 17-year-old Stephen Sickman, 19-year-old Roy Button, 13-year-old Richard Hembry, 15-year-old Wally J. Simonex, Simone, I don't know how to pronounce that one either, apologies, 18-year-old William Willard Branch, 19-year-old Richard Kepner, 17-year-old Joseph Lies. So throughout the murders, Elmer's demeanor started to shift. It was said that he ended up becoming pretty sadistic and that he became fascinated with how much stamina people have. Oh, my Lord. Which, I that's terrifying. Oh, man. Right? Coming to February of 1973, the abductions took a brief pause. So dealing with a condition called hydrosline hydrosly it's eight i'll just i'll just spell it it's h-y-d-r-o-c-e-l-e which is interesting it's an accumulation of serious fluids in a body cavity with the most common being fluid around the testicle yeah that was just like thrown in there what is this like a normal accumulation of this is like it's just like some medical condition oh it's a medical condition um okay (laughs) now i have to say it i won't say any names for whoever's not watching us and just saw kevin just do an exchange of our facial expressions he went to go say something that i was going to tell him no don't say let's redo it i was like what did i do you touch my head and he put it down (laughs) don't do it don't do it but go for it to do it okay we'll just say somebody you know somebody i know you don't have to say how you know Um, them either i won't was uh well, was dating a man at the time that had a condition where his balls would fill up with fluid and they would have to drain it. Yeah. Uh, I know. Yeah. <laughs> I know, but the best part of the story. I was going to ask how you drain it, but then I was like, you know, I actually don't I don't. Know I didn't all. ask. I how was you, like, uh, oh yeah. my God. Yeah. I don't know. We should have asked. I know. Like a little saran. I think they probably so, told us at the time, but I don't remember. But I, I remember being like, some of it out. this is a very interesting yeah. conversation to have right now. It was really a bizarre one. Yeah. And I was like, wow. <laughs> so you. maybe this is the same condition, yeah, right? sure. But okay. This took Dean out for, for a little bit. So there was a, a gap in any murders for this time period. So okay. by June 4th, Dean was active again killing 15-year-old William Ray Lawrence after three days of torture and abuse. So he tortured him for three days and then killed. So following William, there was 20-year-old Raymond Stanley Blackburn, 15-year-old Homer Lewis Garcia, 17-year-old John Sellers, 15-year-old Michael Blah, I think, the brother of Billy, who was killed a year prior. Yeah. So, of course, it's the one name that I'm going to mess up is the one that... His brother was killed a year previously from him, and now Michael was killed as well. 17-year-old Charles Cobble and 18-year-old Marty Ray Jones. And then finally, the last murder of 13-year-old James Stanton Dramelia. Dram- Dram- I don't 
names are hard, on August 3rd, 1973. Jesus Christ. So now comes the final day of Dean Coral. So as previously stated, it was on August 8th that he was shot and killed. But how... Who, what? Wait, Dean where? was shot and killed? Dean was shot and killed. Oh, so, beginning okay. of the story, top of the story. Sure, sure, yeah. That was Dean's body that they found. I don't remember. With it three already, kids. But... I'll just I'll reread this part. Yeah, go back. I, I did. It's <laughs> the, really funny. Hey, y'all. Uh, the, I, yeah, it threw me out. Hey, y'all. Hey, y'all better come here right now. I just killed a man. So oh, the police arrived to a house and they saw the body of Dean Coral lying in the hallway dead. Claimed as self defense. The police had no idea what nightmare would have, was, whatever. Um, so it was Dean's body that was in But somebody the called hallway. and said, hey, y'all, I'm the one that killed Yeah, me. so there was three teen teenagers that were sitting at the house with the pistol on the ground. So oh, I haven't yeah, gotten yeah. to who, what, when, where. Oh, Well, God. when. Who, yeah. what, when, where. Okay. okay, cool. Let me just scroll back down to my notes. All right. On the evening of the 7th, August 7th, Elmer brought over 20-year-old Timoth Cordell Kirtle to party at Dean's home. This part I felt was a little bit interesting. So after some time huffing paint fumes and drinking, that's not the weird part, but it is weird. Elmer and Timothy decided to leave the house for some reason, but Elmer promised to come back, which I thought was really interesting that they were allowed to leave. And at some point while they were gone, they stopped by Elmer's house and they heard a commotion coming from the house across the street. And the commotion was from Elmer's neighbor, a 15 year old friend, Rhonda Louise Williams. She was just beaten by her father, and Elmer offered her a place to go to get out, which was Dean's house. Oh no! Yeah, but she was she was a girl. She was a girl. Mm. So at three a.m. on August eighth, they all went to Dean's house to party. When they returned, Dean was not happy at all. He pulled Elmer aside and told him he ruined everything because he brought a girl back with him. So Elmer told him about what happened with her father, and Dean seemed to calm down after a little bit. The party went on, and just a few hours later, all three kids ended up passing out after their night of of huffing paint fumes and smoking weed. And then waking up sometime later, Elmer found himself on his stomach, and Dean was putting handcuffs on his wrists. His mouth was taped shut, and his ankles were bound together. Looking around, he sees Timothy and Rhonda tied up on the ground beside him still unconscious and passed out. Once Dean noticed that Elmer was awake, he took the tape off of his mouth and Elmer begged for him to stop, but Dean reiterated how angry he was. It's even noted that he said, man, you blew it bringing that girl and I'm going to kill you all, but first I'm going to have my fun. So after about 30 minutes of pleading, Elmer calmed down enough to persuade Dean to let him go. So he promised that he would help him with the torture and murder of the other two if he would just untie him. And then Dean ended up untying him and they strapped the two others to the torture board together. Yeah. So once tied down, Dean handed Elmer a hunting knife ordering him to cut away Rhonda's clothes. Indeed, Dean told him that while he rapes and kills Timothy, that Elmer needed to do the same to Rhonda. So at this point, Timothy and Rhonda started to wake up um, and they started to cause a commotion. And there was even a report that Rhonda asked Elmer, is this for real? Where he answered just a short yes. She then asked him, are you going to do anything about it? And then something here must have really shifted with Elmer. So he asked Dean if he could bring Rhonda to a different room, and Dean ignored him. So in his response, Elmer 
looked on the table and saw the 22 caliber pistol and shouted, you've gone far enough, Dean. I can't go any longer. I can't have you kill all of my friends. Oh my God. Yeah. So after a bit of yelling back and forth where Dean was like, do it, do it, kill me, whatever. Dean advanced onto Elmer, which Elmer ended up pulling the trigger and shooting Dean right in the forehead, which the, I, I wish I kept the note what it exactly said, but basically it didn't kill Dean. It didn't really like penetrate his forehead very deep. I think that's what it said. I don't have the note, so I'm kind of annoyed that I didn't put it in here. But Elmer then ended up shooting Dean two more times in the left shoulder as Dean was still coming at him. So at this point, Dean was still alive. So he stumbled into the hallway where Elmer shot Dean three additional times in his back. And then Dean fell to the floor and died on the hallway so then Elmer untied the others and then the police arrived and they found all three of them sitting in front of the house that day. So when, when questioned, Elmer told them everything. He explained the previous three years and told them about everything he knew um, that, and he admitted to helping with nine murders. So at first the police didn't believe him because they were all high and sure. drugged out yeah. and they were yeah, also yeah. like, what the fuck is happening? But once he started naming the victims, the police started to believe it. Mm. So, the police later found all 27 confirmed bodies in various various places. Well, three places to be specific. There was a rented boat boat shed, and then there others were buried at Lake Sam Rayburn in High Islands Beach in Texas. So in the rented boathouse, the police ended up finding a half-stripped stolen car, a child's bike, a large iron drum, two stacks of lime, and a large plastic bag full of teenage boy clothing. And then eventually they ended up finding multiple bodies wrapped in thick, clear plastic, mm. which they ended up finding the bodies at the, the lake and the beach as well. All of the bodies had signs of sexual assault. And this might get a little bit rough. It's quick, though. But all of the bodies had signs of sexual assault. They were strangled or shot. Their pubic hairs were pulled out. Gen- their genitals had bite marks on them. Objects were placed in their rectums. Glass rods were inserted into their urethra and smashed mouths were taped and gagged and all had, they all had wounds all over their bodies. So on the evening of, I know it's hard. That one's rough. That That was, I almost didn't put that in, but I'm like, this is, it's part of it. So on the evening of August 8th, David went to the police station, giving a statement that he was not a part of the murders, but that he knew Dean killed and raped two people by August 9th. I think David just knew that there there was they no way know. of getting out yeah. of it. So um, he confessed to being present at several killings and assisted in several bur- burials. 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 <laughs> David got charged for the death of one person. Um, one? And, yep. And Elmer got convicted of the nine because he admitted to it. So till this day, Elmer is currently 67 years old and still in prison in Texas. And David died in prison at the age of 65 in 2020 due to the one of the only good things COVID ever took was his life. So he died due to COVID-related symptoms. I have a few wow. facts in here, which I thought were a little interesting. Jesus, so one fact one, Dean jumped around to different homes throughout the murders, specifically throughout the murders itself, just so that it would be harder for him to be found. Well, he was also, he had a childhood of moving around. Yeah. And as somebody that experienced that, the feeling of moving always is like and something new and exciting. To get yeah. yeah. Elmer Mel- mentioned after the killing that he believed Dean would have been proud of him for how he handled the confrontation and said that Dean had been training him to react quickly and forcefully. And this was exactly what he what he basically what he w- would have wanted to be done. 
So he was like, yeah, how, he would have been wait, happy for how, me. How Elmer killed him. Yeah, That's that Dean would have been excited because it was torturous. The parents of the victims were really critical on the police um, because although it was a bunch of runaway kids in the area, many of these parents were not parents of runaways. They were like, my kid would not run away. So they thought the police were very dismissive and that they could have seen the pattern in the murders. But because the area had a lot of runaways, the police basically just said, oh, your kid just ran away. The police were just... Yeah. Not were. So, and then... The last one is that Dean would sometimes make the kids contact their parents, either by phone or by writing letters, so that the parents wouldn't get worried uh, that they were gone. So he would have them call and say, or write a letter saying, I got a job making $3 an hour in Houston. Um, I'm going to take the job and I'm not coming back, basically. Jesus. Yep. Uh, Dean, you fucker. Yeah, fucking Dean. So wow. yeah, that's the story of Brandon. the candy man. Wow. I know as I'm writing it, I'm like, Shit, I have nine pages worth of That was really content. Gross. Yeah, man, right? that's fucked up. Right. Twenty-seven young children. Only one of them was twenty. All of them were in their teens. So the youngest I think was thirteen. Wow. Yeah. Ay yay yay. Well that one was dark. It was, right? Well, thank you. I guess you're welcome. <laughs> Jesus Christ. God, what a very interesting difference between uh-huh. mine and yours. Yeah. Well, um, and it's funny, though, because as we were trying to look into our murders, a lot of the queer killers that we found, they really only focus on the serial killers. So do. Kevin do. had a hard time finding they one did. that it was just like a one I was one like, I don't person, want to do a serial killer, yeah. Which I thought was interesting that <clears throat> the only gay killers you could really find happened to be, happen to be serial, serial killers. killers. Yeah, which there's not a ton, I mean, yep. in general, but... It's so interesting. This is how fucked up the world is. When you go to look up queer killers, what comes up is queer people being killed. Yeah. Um, uh, you know, via hate crime uh-huh. and whatever. And it's really unfortunate. And we'll cover some of those uh, for sure because we'll cover everything. But yeah, yeah it's a very Crazy. interesting world. Yeah. So that was fucked up. Thank you. You're welcome. Yeah. Wow. So, so our next episode. Yes. Episode, episode four. four what are we featuring? Do you remember what we talked about? No. We are going to be featuring murders where somebody was convicted with no body. Oh, yes. No body murders. No body. <gasps> yes. And my, oh, that's right. Yes. And mine's a recent, uh, recently solved case. Yeah. That's yeah. all I know about it. I, yeah. I know which one you're doing, but I don't, I didn't do any. You don't know anything it. about it. Well, don't. Yeah. It'll be really <laughs> interesting. But Brandon, we also have something fun because now we're officially launched Yes, and people can go to our website and what can they do? Oh, we have some homicide swag. <laughs> we'll, <laughs> we'll have more throughout the weeks mm-hmm. that we'll be rocking. They just haven't arrived yet, but yes, that, that cup is pretty cool. The cup is pretty fucking cool. So if you want any um, swag, you can go and yep. get it. And eventually we'll do like a lot more fun yeah. stuff. Where, or if you want to yeah. write us, we have a contact form. If you want to tell us some yeah. fun stories oh or God. if you have any ideas of any murders you'd like to see. Yeah, if you want to hear something covered that hasn't either been covered or, or maybe another podcast did it but didn't expand as much, write in. Let us know. We yep. would love to hear from you. Again, if you send us some bullshit, we're going to call you out on it. <laughs> so <laughs> do it. Yeah. And then. And don't yeah. forget to subscribe. Yep. Follow us on all channels. Follow us. Download. What else do we need, Anna, for people to do? Rate and comment. Rate and review. Share the episode. Did you say that already? Uh, nope. Yeah, do that. Share yeah. it on socials. Let's do that. Share it on social media. Tell all your friends. Tell all your friends. And follow us on TikTok. Yeah. 
We're going to put fun stuff up there. Or we already have. I mean, we think it's fun. We think it's fun. The 200 views that we're getting. <laughs> they all think it's fun, too. <laughs> this is very true. All right, friends. Well, let's do a little um, a little sparkly outro. Maybe I can do get it this do. time. I would love if you would learn how to, like, sing that. Excuse wah, wah, me? Wah, wah. <laughs> sing that? You just ruined it. We're going to say oh, bye okay. one more time. Okay, Again. I'm sorry. Brandon, you need to do it with me, though. Ready? It's like this. But you have to do opposite. Oh, shit. Bye. <laughs> Bye. <laughs>